anyone notice how much of our life is spent celebrating stuff, great stuff? You might not feel like a super optimistic person who celebrates all the time, but think about our culture and how much we celebrate stuff. We celebrate big, good things all the time. Like yesterday, I got to watch the Olympics. Anybody catching some Olympics yet? Uh, it's, it's been cool. It's like, man, I didn't know we were going to have one. And here we are having the Olympics. I watched the men's gymnastics competition. And my daughter, who's a big fan of like flipping in the front yard, was like, I don't want to watch the boys' gymnastics. I only want to watch the girls. She's like, the boys won't be very good. I'm like, you've obviously never seen men's gymnastics. These are some of the most impressive athletes in the world. And we celebrate them. They do, you know, it's just like, how high can they jump? How many times can they flip and throw themselves over that bar? And we celebrate, and we, we're like, but these are great. And, and the Olympics is almost literally the celebration of the greatest athletes in the world. That's the purpose of it, uh, other than like trying to unify countries and things like that. But that's the whole idea. We celebrate so many things. Every year, there are how many award shows where we celebrate the best people in their field. We've got the, things like the Grammys and the Oscars and the Tonys and I don't even know all the award ceremonies because you were the best, you were the greatest and you deserve a trophy of some kind. We celebrate uh, the greatness of food. We love food. You know how we celebrate the greatness of food? We talk about it. We love talking about how good food is. I and mean, if you're eating like a really good meal, what do you do? You're just like, mm, it's so good. Have you tried this? Try that. You know, like we love it. And then if there's great restaurants. If you're a Wilmington local, I know we got some guests from out of town, so welcome. Glad you're here. But uh, if uh, you're local, you've probably recommended a restaurant. You should go to Islands. You should go to PT's Grill. You should go get a Brit's Donut, like whatever your favorite place is. Because we celebrate good food. And it's just, I think it's just part of our DNA to celebrate good things. We want to put them up on top and let everybody know because we don't want people to miss out. Now, here's the thing. There's a word for that type of constant celebration. And it might make you a little bit uncomfortable when I tell you what that word is. The word, I think, is worship. Worship. Like, what is worship? Worship is celebrating the value of something. You could actually call worship worthship. Uh, actually, when you look at the language of it, because what worship is, is assigning worth to something and then celebrating that. That's what it is. Uh, of course, you know, we normally try not to use the word worship in contexts that aren't like religious because we don't, no one wants to be accused of like being in a cult or, I mean, Brits Donuts are pretty good, but you know, you don't want to be like the Brits Donut cult or something like that. Uh, and so I get it. There's like a barrier in our mind for the word worship. You don't want to be considered like some sort of idol worshiper or something. And that's not what I'm saying about those things, but that's what worship is. Worship is celebrating the value of something. It's like, this really matters to me. And so let's, let's throw a party. Let's celebrate it in many ways. And we enjoy celebrating and giving praise to people and places and things that we think deserve it. And that's okay. I think God created us that way. But in all this celebrating, it's easy for us to lose sight of who God is. And, and it's easy for us to uh, forget to make sure that God is at the top of that pile of celebration. Like way at the top, not, not like a, there's this, you know, Brits Donuts is like eh, second place, like, and then there's God. Like, no, like way above. In fact, it's easy for us to forget that God is the only one that is truly deserving of our worship, of our heart, of our dedication, of our admiration and, and, the, and the dedication of our lives. And so today we're going to continue this teaching series, Playlist. Uh, Playlist is a series through the book of Psalms. We're gonna, we've been spending some time in it last week and we're being in it for five weeks. And our goal is just to talk a little bit about worship. Because the book of Psalms is basically a book of worship 
songs. And so if you've got a Bible today, I want to encourage you to open it up or, or scroll down on your phone uh, to Psalm chapter 103, 103. If you need a Bible, we've got some back near the coffee bar. There's a gray shelf over there. These Bibles are free. If you need a Bible of your own to keep, you can take it home with you and put your name in it if you want to, or just borrow it for the service and put it back if you need it for today. Psalm 103. Uh, while you turn there, you'll notice that right under the, the number 103, it'll say, of David. Psalm 103 of David. And we talked a little bit about this last week. A lot of the Psalms are identified with different little, you know, uh, almost like footnotes, like some things you should know. So this one basically is one that says it was written by David. And uh, this is one we can pretty confidently give David credit for writing, the king of Israel, uh, one of the most famous kings in ancient times to have ever lived, and one of the most well-known names in the world. He wrote this song, pretty neat thing. And so the first two verses of this psalm, which is, by the way, just cat out of the back, is going to be about worship. He's going to take just a minute to get his head in gear, which I think is a very important thing to do when you worship. So if you will, let's do this together, okay? We're going to get on the same page with David here, and we're going to get in, in gear for worship in these first two verses. He says, praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David's about to dive into a very deep worshipful song, a song of celebrating the value of God in his life. But before he does that, he's, he's going to take a minute to get his mind in the right space. Or as an author, his name is Roger Ellsworth, who wrote a commentary called um, Opening Up Psalms that I was reading that this week. And he says it this way, which I really like this phrase. He says, praise requires preparation. Take a second and think about that. Praise requires preparation. So for David, he's in this moment. He's like, oh man, I need to worship. But first, okay. <sighs> Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Like remember that soul. <laughs> You've got to get in there deep and remember the goodness of God and the benefits of God. And let's remember, okay, now, and I've had this moment a million times. For me, it happens a lot when I've got a big project to do. Maybe I've got to have a hard conversation you know, and you're sitting right before the storm comes, and you, you ever had this moment? You just got to be like, Whew. okay, let's do this, right? And that's, that's kind of where I see David in these first two voices, verses, but I don't know about you, but I find myself in this position sometimes when it comes to actual worship. Have you ever been in a moment in a setting where you're singing a song? Maybe you're at church just now. Maybe it just happened to you a minute ago. And, and people are worshiping around you or in your car. There's a song on the radio that's a worship song. Or you're reading your Bible or you're doing something. You're trying to worship, but your head's just not in it. I've totally I've been in this room with y'all before singing songs. And I'm back there running sound or doing something else. I'm just like, I'm not even in, in this. Like, I'm not here right now. I'm doing something, but I'm not here. I've done it while preaching before. Okay, not right now, but other times. I've done it while preaching before. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. What are you even doing? <laughs> and, and if my head is in the right space, I will take a second to pause and put my head in gear. I want to start with that because I think that's really important. Praise requires preparation. And so often we run into stuff like church just like, you know, like we're on fire and we just got here. Especially if you have kids that you had to drag here this morning and they, they lost their shoes or something crazy happened. It happens. And we run in here and the next thing you know, church is over. And then people say all kinds of things like, you know, I just didn't connect today or whatever. Praise requires preparation. This is my challenge for you. My challenge for you is when you go to bed on Saturday night, go to bed excited to celebrate the goodness of God with your church family together. 
set up breakfast with somebody before you come or if you come here to serve as a volunteer, like make that a big deal. Or set your alarm in such a way to where like you get here early enough to be awake and excited and you're in this thing. Don't roll into this thing like a dentist appointment. You know what I mean? Well, they said be here at 9.30, so uh, 9.31. Oh, i got to fill out the paperwork first. Like, but that is how we approach worship so often. And I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. Obviously, we're all here doing this together. I'm talking about all of the times. I want to encourage you to have personal times of worship, but it's easy to be like, well, i got to cram in this Bible reading before I get to work today. No, before you do that, take a minute. Just praise the Lord all my soul. And in my inmost being, praise his holy name. And do not forget the benefits of God. All right, so are we somewhat closer to in gear now? Let's get in with David and see what else he says. Uh, This psalm has been called a progression of praise. And so the way that we're going to outline this thing is uh, many people have outlined three parts of a progression. I want you to picture a concentric circle, you know, a bullseye. There's a spot in the middle, and then there's these rings that go out. And what we're going to see is that this praise kind of emanates from a, a, a personal place. The first, the first uh, step of the progression of praise, praise is, um, is personal praise. Personal praise. So that's where David starts. And then we're going to move out of this circle, and, and you'll see it spread out into the universe around us. But this is a step of personal praise, that when you worship God, the question is, what are you thankful for? What are you praising God for? And this is what he's thankful for. Start at verse 3 through five who forgives all your sins and heals all your disease who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles now there's no question marks in this in our english translations but these read like rhetorical questions david is personally diving into his own life and he's asking some questions with implied answers who forgives our sin the lord you know who pulls me out from the pit and crowns me with love and compassion oh the lord does who can satisfy my desires the lord almighty satisfies my desires and the way that i think this is true is this this spring i was reading in my own personal like bible study time i read first and second samuel uh, straight through and largely that book contains a lot of david's life the author of this poem And so if you know the story of David's life and then you read back some of the Psalms he wrote, it really puts a lot of context and meat on that. And so this is a guy who was very familiar with failure, for example. He starts out talking about forgiveness and forgiveness sins. He knew personal sin and he knew forgiveness that was available for God, uh, from God when he would turn his heart back to God. And so this is a guy who's like, who forgives my sin? You know, who heals me from my disease? He knows that because he's experienced it. Uh, This is a guy also who had many times brushed with death. This guy was a warrior first and foremost before he was a king. I'm going to ask you a question. When's the last time you were in a sword fight? This is David's life. Many times he was in a sword fight, okay? So like before you get all tough about life, ask yourself, have I ever been in a sword fight? Because that's, that's like a gut check there. He'd been in sword fights. He'd many times been surrounded by, I don't know, dudes on horses with spears who were trying actively to kill him. And I can't imagine there were many times in David's life, and I know this from the stories you read about his life, where he was like, this is it. Like, I'm going to die today. But then, who has lifted me from the pits of despair and crowned me with compassion and love? Like, he knew that weightless feeling of being lifted out of danger. And so this is a place, I think, where David is coming from of personal praise. That's the center section of this bullseye, personal praise. So I'd like to take a second to ask you, What are some things in your life that you're thankful for that God has done for you? 
It's the, it's the question. What, what has God done for you? I want to encourage you, like literally and seriously, sometime in, during this sermon, uh, pull out your phone if you've got a notes app or if you've got a journal or uh, in, our, in our little connection packs in the seats, you can pull out a, a note card and write it down. I want you to write down a list of things that you believe God has been present for in your life, things that you're thankful for. Sometimes it's hard to get started on that last list, but once you get started, it, it becomes this like fountain of overflowing things because we start seeing little things. I'm not, that's your assignment. That's, that's your personal time with God. I'm not going to give you the answers to that, but take some time to do that because it's really important to do that. David lists down, this is a song, it's a poem. He's not making a, you know, exhaustive list of all the things he's thankful for, but he lists three things. So here's a challenge. Maybe you list your top three things you're thankful for and then go from there. His three things are forgiveness, redemption, and salvation. That's the way, that's my summary of his three things. And so these are big things in his life. Maybe you have a top three. Jot those three down and here's the reason. Because I want to encourage you to spend some time in praise this week on your own. Not just here on Sunday morning, but on your own. And if you don't know where to begin, start by getting your mind in gear. Okay, let's do this. And then just begin to thank God for those top three things. And that's as far as you, if that's as far as you can get this week, Hey, that's a win. That's a, big, that's, that's a win. God is deserving of our undivided attention. But sometimes we have to train ourselves to do that. And one of the easiest things for us to do is to be selfish and think about ourselves. And uh, so that's convenient. We can look at ourselves and go, God, what am I thankful for? Wow, thank you for that. Okay, so uh, David speaks about God's blessings. And we, we love to celebrate things. We love to assign value to something and celebrate it. But what God wants most from us is that we take time to celebrate him and what he's done in all those things. So I want to encourage you to make that a part of your daily celebration, to, to look for the things that God has done and to simply vocalize those things to him throughout the day. That's the, so that's, that's the, the center circle. In verse six, we get to the next uh, layer of this praise bullseye, if you want to call it that. And we're going to call it praise for all people. Praise for all people, because that's kind of where David goes. Start in verse six. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known the ways of Mo to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. We'll pause there. We're going to keep going. This is, continues. But quick pause for context. We've mentioned Moses. We've mentioned Israel. Uh, this is from the history of David's people. And uh, this is common in the book of Psalms. To look back on what God has already done for our nation, his nation, and celebrate that. For us, that's like if somebody, you know, some politician or a teacher or somebody quotes George Washington or Martin Luther King Jr. Like we collectively can celebrate that. We understand. And it takes us all back to a place where we can be unified. And so that's what David's doing here. Man, God has blessed all the oppressed and he let Moses know what's up and he's taking care of the nation of Israel. And this is even more powerful in Psalms because whereas we can look at our historical figures and kind of understand and celebrate some things, the, the nature of the nation of Israel was that God was raising up this nation as a people, as his people. And like that was the center of their entire nationality. Their government was a theocracy. They were like, we are, we are founding our government, not on a group of representatives, not on individuals, but on God. And so when David reminds himself, now David's the king, right? So now he's in charge, big air quotes there. He's in charge. He's got to remind himself what God did to establish that nation. Praise uh, for all people. And when David does that on behalf of his people, um, it reminds us that we too can celebrate in those ways. We, we can celebrate what God's doing around the world. We can celebrate what God has done, his track, track record. That's praise for all people. And we can also do this in another way. We can do it with all people. 
I met a brand new friend yesterday, uh, a mutual friend of somebody. And we got to stand and talk. And we didn't know each other. But when we both discovered our love for Jesus and our understanding of God, we got to spend a minute in praise. All we did was he told a story about someone that he met and how God blessed that. But in that moment, we got to celebrate the goodness of God. We're going outside this concentric circle. We're starting easily with what's in my life. But then we go outside and we think about what has God done in the world around us. We keep going. Verse 8. Okay. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us like our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Go back and read that again. Praise God. That's a huge deal right there. Like, he doesn't repay us for our sins as we deserve. For some reason, many people have this image of God as this brutal figure who's just waiting for us to mess up. And surely you've heard this kind of sentiment, like someone said, they, they, they I don't know, they, they cuss or they say something bad or whatever, they do something bad, and then they have this moment like, well, hope lightning doesn't strike me right now. Like, you know that, that whole joke? Um, as if God is just sitting up there with a big old javelin, like a lightning spear, and he's just waiting for you to mess up. And I want to tell you something. Don't do that. Let me tell you why. That is a pagan idea. That is what the gods of the nations that, in David's time, that weren't the God of Israel, that's what those people believed. That unless I make the right sacrifices and do the right things and pay the right offerings and go to the right place at the right time, God's going to smite me. Like, and we're not going to win wars and our kids are not going to prosper and we're going to lose our wealth and we're going to lose our crops. Like, that, was, that is a pagan idea. That every time you mess up, God's going to throw, you know, a lightning bolt at you, a figurative lightning bolt. And so I can't overemphasize how dramatically different our God is than the gods of this world. And one of the biggest pieces is his grace, his grace and his forgiveness, because that is not the mentality of the gods of this world. And my guess is, though it still happens around the world, that like you probably don't have like a little pagan idol in your, you know, closet or you don't go to some you know pagan temple somewhere but the gods of this world are still very real figurative or literal i could be talking about demons and stuff that that's still totally true but there's some figurative gods of this world that i think we have more uh, of a familiarity with the gods of you know money and success and fame and health and happiness and power and influence these are the gods of our world and though we may not have little shrines built to them in our houses, we might actually, but you know, we don't like literally, we don't think of ourselves as worshiping those things. I want to take a second and think about the many things that we celebrate as a people, these qualities that we pump up in our society. And these things, just like the pagan gods of ancient times, are unforgiving. You've got to have a perfect track record with your finances and your success and your power and your influence. And as soon as you slip up, you lose that, right? That's why it's a rat race every day. These are the gods of this world. And they're just as spiteful and unforgiving as the ancient gods of this world. But our God is a God of grace and forgiveness. And a God that steps in and says, listen, you're not, we're going to start with the understanding that you're not going to get it right, okay? We understand that. Now let's move on. So I want to reread these verses 8 through 10. Listen to this. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sin deserves or repay us according to our iniquities. Keep on going in verse 11 now. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's a powerful image. I love that this was written before Jesus came. And this is why. If you've been in church long or you know much about the Old Testament, our general impression is that back in the Old Testament, God was way more vicious. And like he didn't have grace back then. Like Jesus brought grace. And like, you know, like uh, you might not be picking up on that, but if, if you were raised in the church or you've done some Bible studying, you might have caught that. This is so cool to me because David lived before Jesus. What was David's impression of God? This that we just read. This sounds like it could be straight out of the New Testament. Jesus could have preached this sermon. But David, in the thick of God's uh, temple system and all the Old Testament stuff, still understands the forgiveness and the grace of God. And it's humbling to know that. So, so this picture, as far as the east is from the west, as far as the heavens are from the ground below, that's how far God separates our sin from us. When we turn to him, when we repent. I mean, this isn't like free pass for sin. This is not what we're talking about at all. But this is God's nature. It's his character. It's his character. And, th- and that's what uh, David is celebrating here on behalf of all people. And then we keep on verse 13. We're still in the second part of the circle. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The winds blow over it and it's gone. And in its place... And its place remembers it no more. Um, It's humbling to remember how big God is. That that God, like, he knew you when your soul was getting, like, stitched to your cells as you were in your mother's womb. What? Like, God, like, understands that. Not only does he understand it, like, he caused it. And he can see all of that. And compared to God's eternal greatness, this is humbling. My life is like the lifespan of a blade of grass. Yeah. And God blinks his eyes in his eternal greatness. And in that blink of an eye, my self-centered greatness is just blown away with the wind. And on the one hand, that could be a little depressing. And you're like, oh man, I just feel kind of worthless. But not when you keep reading in verse 17. Remember, this is David's praise uh, uh, for all people. But, verse 17, but from everlasting to everlasting. Let me back up. Everlasting to everlasting. That means forever, okay? It's a common phrase in, in old writing. So, but forever, but from everlasting to everlasting, lasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. So in the middle of Psalm 103, David is just praising God for caring about us, that you would care. It makes me want to stop and just praise God. Lord, you don't even have to notice me. But you tell me in 1 Peter 2, 9, you tell me you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of, his dark, out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Like That's how God sees us, as his children. It's important to remember, guys, that we matter to God. You matter to God. Your life matters to him. What you've been through matters to God. What you're going through matters to God. He cares. 
And twice in that section, we see this phrase that those who fear God, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and talking about fear, like it doesn't sit well with our modern sensibilities. Like we, we don't like the idea of fear, fearing God because maybe it takes your brain to, you know, things like abuse and loss of trust. And we live in a culture where we don't want to fear things. But that's not at all what David's saying here. The fear of God is something we see a lot in the Old Testament, in all of the Bible, in all of the world. The idea of fearing God. Uh, and and, it, and it, I like to compare it to this idea. Um, like, there are big things that we should fear in this world. Uh, the ocean. The sun. Okay? Now, do we get great joy from the ocean and the sun? Absolutely. Our economy thrives on it. We love the ocean and the sun. But you would be a fool not to recognize how powerful the ocean and the sun. We're not just going to take a vacation to the sun and just, you know, I put on my SPF 30 and go walk around the surface of the sun. No, you should fear the sun. It will melt you into a liquid, okay? You do not walk on the sun and take it lightly. But we can love the sun and we can take joy in the, the ocean. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. But don't be swimming in a rip current. And don't go out there during a hurricane. And so when we talk about fearing God, it's about a reverent respect for who he is. And it says that when we can learn to reverently respect who he is, man, then the blessings start coming. Then the understanding of who God is starts coming. So when you go back to verse 13, we looked at it already, but we can see it again. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. We are flippant with God. We are super flippant with him. We treat him like he's just a bud. And that's part of our modern, uh, I don't know, the, the church, the Christianity has taken us to a place where we, God's your buddy, he's your friend, Jesus is my homeboy, like all this stuff. And that's cool. Like I think, he wants, I think he wants us to understand that he's our friend, but he is not your buddy. You hear me when I say this? He is the creator of the universe. And the thought that he would allow us to speak to him or ask for things, and even more, that he would actually hear us and give us the things that we ask for, should blow our stinking minds, and it should lead us to nothing less than worship. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we've looked at personal praise. We've looked at praise for all people. Let's look at the last circle here. Uh, we're going to call it universal praise, and that goes directly out of what we just talked about, the power of God. Let's look at verse 19. Universal praise. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you, his angels, you mighty one who is doing his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all the heavenly hosts, you, his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. So David was a king, okay? So David gets this. This is kingdom talk. And he wants to make something clear. I'm a king, but I'm just a little K king, okay? There is a bigger dominion, a bigger kingdom, and that is the king of the universe. And David knows very well in times in his life where he kind of got, you know, a little full of himself and tried to, like, rule his own roost, and then he got himself into some trouble. And he had to repent and turn his heart back to God. So he's speaking from experience here, like, all you nations, like, let me just give you, let me just give you some advice. Praise the Lord. He is the king. He has dominion over all things. And we're talking about worship. And I just want to step aside and say something for a second because I talked about him being the creator of the universe. I mean, take a second and think about this. I, I looked it up on the internet this week. I was like, how big is the universe? <laughs> I don't know. I, can't, I don't have like a measuring tape that long. So I asked Google. Apparently Google knows. Someone figured it out. Uh, the answer Google gave me was over 90 billion light years wide. 
over 90 billion light years wide. And then my head exploded because I'm like, what? Like, I don't even know what that is. Like, I, I mean, yeah, I, anyone who arrogantly would tell you that they fully understand what that means and that they can fully comprehend it in their head, how big the universe is, they just, they, 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 they need some honesty check. Like, they, you can't, you can't, you can't, okay, that's my side, my, my beginning of my side thought. And everything in the universe, I believe, was created by the same God that we worship here this morning. We sing a song to him this morning. Okay, as the creator, when God looks at the universe, he looks at it the way that we would look at a fish tank. There it is. I made this. And that is the God that we're called to worship. And this fish tank, our 90 billion, oh, by the way, it's 90 billion light years wide and constantly expanding. So just strap that on and think about it. Okay, but like, so the fish tank's getting bigger and bigger. I don't know how it works, gravity and black holes and I don't know dark matter. I don't, Brian, you can explain it to us all later. Um, but that fish tank is his dominion. He's the king of that. Every bit of it. And wherever God's dominion is, he requires praise. That's, I mean, think about it. Let that move you. I mean, we're in a moment, you didn't know I was going to say that. So take it home with you. Wherever God's dominion is, he requires praise. And when we look at the world around us, we see his fingerprints everywhere. The beautiful tapestry of art that he paints in the sky and a sunset and a sunrise. And I know it's science and it's molecules and it's chemicals, but that was his idea. He came up with all that. And we're constantly discovering new species of things that we didn't know about. We're like, oh, write it in my little book. We got them all. Oh, here's another one, right? He made those up and he actually knows how many there are and he cares about them all. The intricacies of how our body works, you know? I know a couple of you are dealing with some serious medical situations and doctors, the greatest doctors that we know of in our area are using all these fancy machines and scanners and stuff and God's like, you know, like an old mechanic working on a tractor, you know? All right, what you need is a new, uh, you know, defibrillator. (laughs) I don't know. And you get it, like, God gets that. He's a creator. It is important for us to step back and see the scope of who he is and bring him glory. And that's why we're calling this universal praise because it's like, Scripture tells us that if we don't praise him, even the rocks will cry out and praise for him. He doesn't need us to praise him. He wants us to. He invites us to. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being and so as david is in his own personal meditation time he sits down with his little journal and he writes a song this song for the first time and he draws inspiration from everything around him to define who his god is and you see that in so many other places you know sometimes we get in a rut and we can't worship i've been there And I found that one of the best solutions for that for me is just to go outside, put your phone down, turn off your TV, go outside, sit in your yard. You don't have to go far. If you live in an apartment building with 3,000 other people, you can still do this. Just go outside and watch creation. You might just have a little group of black ants on your porch. That might be all you have. You know the thing about ants? They're incredible. God made that. Listen to the birds. Think about weather. <laughs> Go to the ocean. We live here, by the way. The river is beautiful. 
Take some time to enjoy creation. And it, it can reboot your soul when he talks about, uh, you know, praise the Lord, all my soul and all my own inmost being. We get so busy with the noise, you know, the distractions. And when we can turn that off, it can be a jump start to get us going back in the right direction. And maybe you've never done that. And maybe you don't know what you could even be thankful for. Just stop. Just this is my encouragement. Stop and go outside. And start with creation. Because that is his very first revelation to us. Is the natural world. That's the very first story in the Bible. He created it. And that's where we begin to see his work and his power. And so it's fitting to me that David ends this psalm the same way he began it. Uh, he starts in 103 verse 22. He says, praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. And then he says, this is the way he started. Praise the Lord, my soul. It's deep, soul deep. As I wrap up, I don't want you to miss this. This is not a throwaway ending, okay? This is a very short, like, paragraph of thought. This may be the most significant thing you could hear today. We work so hard to make our faith about a lot of things. We make our faith about a pursuit of intellect because there's a lot of questions. Maybe that's where you are. Your faith is about getting answers to questions. We make our, our pursuit a pursuit of truth because truth is important. I don't think we would disagree. Truth is important. We make our faith a pursuit of morality. We want to be good. We don't want to be bad. We make our faith a pursuit of forgiveness because I made mistakes and I want to be right with God. Or whatever it is, what have you made your faith about? All of those things are good things. Not throwing them away. God's word talks about them a lot. But at the core, though those things are good. The Bible talks about those things. Don't miss this. This is it. This is the thought right here. All of that is for God's glory. Your intellect or lack thereof, your faith or lack thereof, your morality or lack thereof, uh, your pursuit of truth or lack thereof, and anything else that you're pursuing in life, all of it is for God's glory. And if we miss the point that God deserves and desires our praise, if we miss that, we've missed the point of the whole thing. Stop wasting your time on intellect, truth, and morality. If you're not praising the creator of this universe, good for you, write a book. You can make a living on it. But I do not believe we're at the heart of what God wants from us the most. Praise. And then all the other things begin to fall into place. You can get your answers. You can find truth. You can discover forgiveness and understand morality. We need to be a people who is desperately seeking to praise the creator of the universe. Pursue worship. Start there. Let him take care of the rest. Let me pray for us today.